Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I just realized I said microphone really weird. I'm like, microphone, <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I feel like a little Elvis there curled up my lip and uh, going to wear a white jumpsuit. How about that? What are you laughing at? <laughs> peanut butter banana sandwiches, fried. Can you imagine that? Fried peanut butter banana sandwich? Is it, what's fried? Is it the banana that's fried or is it the whole sandwich that's fried? Because you don't want hot peanut butter. That'll burn your tongue. <laughs> No, I'm I think, serious. You're, I I think you're putting way too much thought into this fried peanut butter banana sandwich. Really? Although it might be something that we could have gotten back in the day at the CNE, but I don't know if that's going to be a thing ever again. Oh, the CNE. No, the CNE yeah. might not be a it thing. It might not again. be a thing again. Canada's Wonderland called way back when that they're going to open whatever day they're going to open. I was like, how can they even say that? I, I don't understand how that works. And then I realized mm, maybe there's some. Anyway, whatever. Paramount owns it. Maybe there's information there that no one knows about except for big people and big places <laughs> big people in big places it's not us well hey everyone it's amanda and it is about 10 to 9 on a monday evening it's a long day man <laughs> it and Mark, Mark, that we're going to start calling Mark Toronto because once again, our guest uh, that we have on the phone tonight is also named Mark. I don't want to be Mark Toronto. You're Mark Toronto. No, you're Mark Toronto. And then we have Mark Vancouver on the line. And uh, apparently it's a beautiful sunny spring day in Vancouver. Here in Toronto, it was brutally hot and it has been for the last few days. It's going to cool down a little bit next week. I am bright red and sunburnt um, because I have that type of skin where if I just think about the sun, I'm burnt it's called white so (laughs) i'm I'm very burnt it's very hot and i was just treating people in a very very hot space but now i'm back sitting on the bed and we're going to talk to another registered massage therapist tonight who as i said is in vancouver and he's also an educator and he's a uh, coach he's a mentor and he owns two clinics in vancouver so we've got a lot of uh experience before we do the introductions on this i want to know mark vancouver of all these things that you do because you just heard a whole bunch of things. What do you like doing the most, man? I taught all weekend. I did a double shot. I did a Zoom class on the weekend. It was a two-day course, but it was also simultaneously done with people in class. And that was eight hours each. That was 16 hours that I did on the weekend. And then I just ripped off a seven-hour Zoom class today. And that's why my voice kind of sounds like this because all I've been fucking doing is talking for three days straight. (laughs) And I'm really curious as to if you had to pick right now, gun to the head, that sounds horrible, but gun to the head. And it's coaching, clinic owning, treating, education, pick one or I shoot. What do you pick? Clinic owner. Oh, Whoa, I was not expecting that. Okay, we're going to definitely have to talk about that. Yeah, right, cool, we've got cool, lots cool. of things to talk I about. So it. yeah, before we start, Mark Vancouver, for everyone listening, can you give us a little bit of background about you? I mean, I, I gave some, but I know you've got a whole interesting backstory and some things that I didn't even mention. So uh, let us let everybody know who you are and what brought you here today. Sure. Uh, so I live in Vancouver, born and raised. Uh, I trained as an RMT back when I was 27, so I'm 53 now. So we've had a few years under our belt. Uh, previous before that, um, actually, one thing that sort of has defined my life is that I've been losing my vision my entire life. So when I was nine, I was diagnosed with a uh, rare degenerative eye disease, and now I have about one percent of my vision. Mm-hmm. So. Basically, that has really had a major, major impact in my life, um, good and bad. But as I always say to people, it's not what you get. It's, it's not what you're dealt. It's how you play it. And so I've had some just wildly fun experiences that uh, I owe to losing my eyesight. Okay. You, you can't say something like that without a follow-up. <laughs> how old were you when you got diagnosed with this degenerative eye condition? Uh, nine. Okay. When you're nine, like, do, I want to know how this goes, if, if you're cool to talk about it, because I'm really curious. Because, for example, yeah, sure, I'm thinking now, we've got an almost seven-year-old daughter, we've got a four-year-old daughter. If something like this was to walk through our doors, I don't know what I would do in terms of the conversation that I would have with my, you know, in two years from now, nine-year-old daughter about a degenerative eye condition where you're going to lose the majority of your sight relatively quickly. At least that's the way it sounds. I mean, if you got 1%, you're in your 50s. You know what I mean? So- yep. How did this come about? Is this like your your folks are sitting you down saying, hey, this is the deal? Is it the doctors sitting you down, the specialists sitting you down saying, hey, this is the deal? Or is everyone putting you in the freaking dark until you're a little bit older? And then they're like, this is the deal. <laughs> no, uh, it's sort of a combination of the first two. 
So what happened was I was going to soccer practice one day. Uh, my mom dropped me off at the field. I looked over and I said, hey, where where is everybody? And they had just moved one field over because they were fixing that one we were usually on. And my mom was like, oh, my God. So she took me to the eye doctor. And after a bunch of tests, uh, the eye doctor brought me back into the room at the end of the day, sat me down with my mom and said to my mom, you better get your son ready uh, because he'll be blind by the age of 19. And oh. uh, so I was supposed to be blind in 10 years. And and I just I remember that moment I got goosebumps in my body even just talking about right now. And I was just like, oh, my fucking God, my life is I don't even know what to even think about it because what does it mean to go blind? Like, I mean, I've had exposure, um, but all I wanted to do is go home and ride my bike and hang out with my buddies. And I realized very early on that I could do those things, but everything I had to do needed to be adapted. And, and that's one of the first cool things that happened to me is that I can figure anything out because all my life, I would be able to do something, then my vision would drop and I wouldn't be able to do it again and I'd have to adjust it. Mm. And so it's really given me the ability of just sitting down and regardless of what's in front of me, and that's why I love clinic ownership so much is because it's ne- it's always changing. There's never a, a day that's the same. And so it gives me the framework to be able to figure things out. And, and business is the best intellectual pursuit ever. And so early on, my mom was an entrepreneur, and so she taught me the basics of entrepreneurship. And one of the cool things that happened in my teens is I skied all my life, and I got involved in uh, downhill skiing professionally, and I got involved with the, um, it was called disabled skiing back then. Uh, And then when I was 16, I was the youngest uh, athlete to be taken to the Paralympics, uh, and I won two gold medals. Right on. And it was awesome to have that happen because at 16 my friends were all getting licenses and getting their independence and i was just losing more of my vision which was you know really you know it it was just nasty i mean really so hard to understand because i was still a young person but i was like whoa this is really capturing my life because when i was first diagnosed yeah sure i couldn't see but i was I was making up for it in so many ways. It didn't impact me. And then suddenly within about four or five years, it was like, Oh, this, this is what the doctor said, you know, but cool. I was 53. I still got one, 1% of my vision. So they were wrong there. Does this make, this is going to sound stupid. Sorry if it does, but what the fuck? I sound stupid most of the time. Does this make making friends and hanging on to friends at a young age harder or easier? Um, I'd say a bit of both again, because in your mind, like when I was a kid, I thought I was going to lose my friends, right? Because I just thought, holy shit, they're going to university. They're growing away from me. But really what happened in the end was because I, I mean, I value every relationship I have and I value the time I spend with people um, because I know that things can be taken away in a very harsh way that you build up really strong relationships with just a few people. And so my close friends, like my closest friend, Jason, I've known him since I was nine (laughs) and we still talk three times a day. And my other two or three friends that are closest, I still talk to them once a day. I feel like your conversations three times a day are this was, uh, that's it. It's hang up click. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. It's like, Hey man, I'm sitting on the porch. What are you up to? Hey, I'm just sitting on my couch. <laughs> that's, cool. That's such a guy, longtime friend move right there. Because I have buddies that I've had since I was in junior kindergarten. So I've had these friends since I was four years old. I'm turning 46 this year. And that's what our conversation is like. Hey, what are you up to? Oh, nothing. Just run some errands. What are you up to? Oh, I'm just come at work. I'm just going to wrap up early. Cool. All right. Give me a shout later if you do anything. All right, cool. And that's it. <laughs> it happens like daily. It. It's hilarious. Wow. Men and women are a little bit different. I have one friend, one friend that I talk to like every day, multiple times a day. And uh, yeah, we call each other when like anything, anything funny happens during the day. Like 
as soon as something funny happens, I have to call her and I'm like, guess what just happened? And then she'll call me, guess what just happened? Oh. Those are our conversations. Massage. When does massage school become a thing then? Uh, massage school happens at 25 when I, I'd had some other businesses. Um, unfortunately, the one thing I got good at was drinking um, because that helped me deal with the pain of having this vision loss and just having this being taken away from me. So I did that for a long time, but certainly solidly for about eight, eight years. And then I was just like, shit, like my friends are now we're getting old now, right? You know, we're 25. My friends are, you know, lawyers and doctors and all these other great things that people aspire to. And I uh, hadn't gone to university. Um, So I got back into university and uh, took kinesiology Loved it. Absolutely thought it was the best. I mean, back then it was called physical education. Um, but I absolutely loved it. And I did extremely well in my anatomy physiology course. And I was like, God, this is the best. And then someone introduced massage therapy. Said, you ever thought of being a massage therapist? I was like, massage. I never had a massage in my life. And I took the, um, I'm not sure how it is in Ontario, but here we have these weekend courses to introduce you to the school. And so I took the introdu- introductory course and I was like, man, this is awesome. And one, I loved getting massage, of course, like who doesn't? Um, but I immediately thought to myself, you know what? I can suddenly win because if I'm a blind massage therapist, it works in my favor. And I remember that moment going, oh my gosh, I found something I can actually win at. And it didn't matter if my vision went to zero or not. Why did you think it would work in your favor being a blind massage therapist? Uh, because if you're a blind massage therapist, people just want you to touch them. They just think you're superhuman. I I, th- I thought that for sure. Like when I was uh, I was treating someone this evening and I knew that I was coming to do this podcast after. And as I was working on this guy and I'm, you know, palpating and doing whatever it actually crossed my mind i was like i wonder how much better my palpation skills would be if i didn't have my vision like that actually came into my mind because i knew i was going to be talking to you tonight so i bet other people do think that or or it's something as simple as cool man my massage therapist is a blind dude like that's fucking cool you know what i mean it could be something as simple as that it's true it just makes it seem like wow you must be really really good at this because you know you've got you've got 1% of your vision, but this, yeah, I can see how, how that would be in your favor. The reason I asked why is I was wondering if you, it was like looking at it from um, the public's perception of you or of your perception of, you know, being able to use your hands and your other senses versus doing a job that you needed to use your vision. So I, I guess it's both. It's both. It's both. Because the one thing you're always concerned about is that the sight is taking stuff away from you, right? So you can't, you can't, well, cause there's so many things, but when you go blind, you just, well, everybody needs certainty in their life, right? Certainty that we're not going to be attacked on the street. We can breathe and we're going to make enough money in life. So in a blind person's life, they want certainty of employment and certainty that people aren't going to be able to shuffle the cards on. Mm. And it just gave me the comfort to say, you know what? People can't take this away from me. I mean, they could, I guess, if I got my arms chopped off. But outside of my arms being chopped off, they can't take it away. And like you uh, mentioned, it's super cool. People love saying, hey, Mark's my blind massage therapist. You know, like, they love it. You know, people refer people. Oh, yeah, my friend came back from the office and said, you're blind and you're the best. I'm like, yeah, he's right. So come on. You know, (laughs) like, you gotta, you gotta play with what you got. And so it, uh. Yeah, it was just awesome, again, to to have something work in your favor when something is always working against you. Did you find school difficult? The school that you went to, were they were they very um, happy to adapt things for you and work with you to make learning easy for you? It might you? not have been. There's a private career college many, many years ago. Who knows what it was like? And I'm going to make the assumption, and hopefully I'm wrong, is that maybe they didn't have the means to be accommodating. Like how long ago was this? This was this was many decades ago, yeah. and it's a private career college. It's not like it's a public school and blah 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 blah. You know? Yeah, and, and I mean, I would say they were really good, but they also didn't know like what to do, and they'd only had like one or two in the last you know ten years go through. So when I came through, 
Um, thankfully, I had a government uh, program where they paid for a tutor. Um, so a tutor was with me for my practical um, component because, you know, of course, when they're doing practical, it's hard to see what, what the teacher's actually doing. So I had a really amazing practical teacher with me the whole time, which really did accelerate my learning there. And then the theoretical side was, um, yeah, it was difficult. But as I say, when I got into kinesiology, I loved it so much that, yeah, it was hard, but it was good hard. You know, like I was feeding my brain with the right material and I was just being encouraged every day, learning and applying. And the school did a great job. But yeah, there were certainly some areas where they were just like, I don't know what to do next. I'm like, I don't know what to do either. It was my first time, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's my first it time. Out. Yeah, you know, I worked in admissions at a private career college and I had, um, you know, a few people come through my doors looking to apply for the massage program. And I remember going to the school or going to the, you know, heads of the program to try to figure out what could we do. And even then, and this was only, oh, God, what was it like 10, 10 to 15 years ago? Even then I was being met with, I don't know. I don't know if we can, if we can accommodate. And one of them was, I had someone come in who was visually impaired. I don't remember like how much of his vision he had, but I remember the school saying, I don't know if we can work with this person. And I was like, there's gotta be a way, like there has to be a way. But I think Mark, didn't you teach somebody with a visual impairment? Well, this is why I wanted to ask when you're in school, I'll just come out and ask it when you're in school. How difficult is it with uh, vision loss or impaired vision and you're palpating around the body or you're doing work? Like, I have no idea. Like I've done some massage, like when we were in school, close your eyes, do some draping, that type of thing to make sure you can still navigate yourself around the body and, and enhance your palpation skills. And it was a draping thing. So that was even cooler, right? Because if you fuck this up, you're exposing somebody, but who cares? Because everyone's eyes are closed anyway. But any which way. So I'm curious, how hard is it in school to do things like that? Because I have a very specific question I want to ask you about this. It's hard. Um, and it's very important to make sure you ask questions and get it right. And blind people and, and maybe other types too, but um, you don't want to always stand out. Like you don't want to say, oh Christ, I got another question. Can you come over here and show me exactly how to do that again? <laughs> you know, but you know, when you're visually impaired or, or blind, um, you need to be shown it right the first time because if you create that habit and you don't ask you really set yourself up for a problem because it's hard to wing it when you haven't seen what you're supposed to wing <laughs> so so i made it very um very obvious to my uh teacher my practical teacher that was with me please just you know no holes barred tell me i'm doing it wrong do not allow me to move forward without me getting it right and with a strong foundation, then sure. Yeah. You make a few mistakes, not a big deal. Everybody does. But if you just sort of say, Oh, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out later. It starts to snowball and you can't figure it out because you never saw. So yeah, it can be very challenging. See, cause I had this dude in my class and he had vision issues and he was doing everything fine. Like we were, he, he finished like massage theory and techniques class it was perfectly fine no issues he was did um intro stuff like draping and all that stuff no problem no issues and now we're doing i think a palpation exam and suddenly he's handsy with the with the body on the table who by the way is an attractive young lady and he's handsy with her to the point where I'm like, dude, this is on purpose. Like, you can't do this. And I stopped the exam. I'm like, no. And then he wants to use the excuse, well, I can't see very well. I don't know where I'm going. I was like, but I've been watching you do this for months now. And everything's been fine. And suddenly, like, that's where we're going with this. And I wanted to know if, if is as you're getting more accustomed to things and as you're doing things, did you ever still have those moments of like, I really fucked that up or I really didn't know what I was doing there? Yeah, absolutely. You can. Because here's the thing. And this is what you need to watch for is, so what I would do is I would landmark what, I don't know, let's just say a sensitive area, someone's breasts, right? I would landmark their shoulders and then anatomically, I know exactly where I am. But if, if I were just to say, hey, I'm going right out with my hands without touching these landmarks, 
well, boom, man, you're for sure you're going to, you know, there's a good chance you're going to screw it up. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the thing is this person who has lived most of his life with a visual impairment, the student Mark's talking about, he would have known to landmark. It, it seemed very intentional. <laughs> but that's my point. And not even that. This is a palpation exam. In other words, we've gone through the whole class. This is final exam. And I've watched you do this over and over in class. You're just doing what you've done in class. And, and now it's an issue. And I was like, this is, I, it, but I don't know how I feel about it. Maybe a same word, but you know, I just, I, just, I had to ask. I'm sorry. I had to ask. Yeah. You, you build up ways to figure it out. That's the thing. So if he's figured things out before, He's got to follow that same format, you know, like that's, that's all you do. So once you finish school, I, and by the way, you know, talking about kinesiology, because uh, Mark and I both uh, did our undergraduate degrees in kinesiology as well. And I assume that helped you huge in massage school, right? Because you already had such a strong foundation. And then it was just doing, um, you know, a lot of the technical stuff, right? So once you finished massage school, did you, you know, having that being that your mother was an entrepreneur, and you know, you would sort of learned the ways already. Did you have the intent to come out of school and start your own business right away? Or did you go and work for other people first? Yeah, no, I started right away. I was actually building a clinic with a couple friends in school. Um, but we didn't go through that, thankfully. Um, but no, my intention was I could use massage therapy to build a business. And so I got out and actually opened up a business called Stress Busters on-site massage therapy. And back in the day, uh, they had individual massage therapists going to hotels and they would have relationships with the concierges. So I went in and I was like, you know what? They need one place to call and I'll send out all the massage therapists. Mm. So I built this thing up to 25 massage therapists and it was a wildly good time. And we serviced all the big hotels. Then we got into the movie industry and then we did uh, corporations and then we did a bit of home visits too. Um, but no, I jumped in right away. That was that was my goal. That was my my outcome was to become a business owner. That's awesome. I know uh, Mark Toronto always tells people if that's your end game, if that's your goal, start doing it right away. Start doing it while you're in school. So you you did that. You just had this idea that I'm going to become a massage therapist and create my own business. Oh, so yeah. and you can do that shit. Like we. I had this, I was, I've, I've never had, not never, I've had several proudish moments and that was one of them. One of the students in, in the business course that I was teaching, uh, uh, when I was teaching at a private career college and we were doing the whole business course. And then part of what I was having them do was develop a, a business plan to, to score financing. And I was telling them, take this as real as you wanted to take it. If you think you want to have a clinic, make this actually part of what you're actually going to do. In other words, you're going to be doing the homework right now. You're doing the work right now when make you're in school. Make a real plan. Make a real plan, right? And one of the students, she was making a real plan and she opened her clinic before she was finished massage school. Like that's how fucking of a real plan she had. <laughs> that's a good plan. <laughs> that's yeah. excellent. Yeah, it, it, it's important that, if that's what you want to do, you know it, like you know it in your bones. And I come across a lot of massage therapists that think they want to do it, but they want to do it because they think it makes a lot of money. Yeah. And sure, it can make a lot of money, but just like any other business out there, 80% of them fail. And then in 10 years, 90%, 96% of them fail and only 4% survive. But that doesn't mean they're even making money. So you got to know you want it because if you really want it, you're going to do everything all day long to get it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not like a right. Oh, I'm a massage therapist. And suddenly you think you're open a restaurant. It's not like a construction worker says, I'm going to become a developer of a condo high rise. Cause I'm a construction worker. It's a ridiculous thought, but you can, but it, there's no easy connection you got to want it you got to want to fail and you got to fail a lot to figure it out yeah that's true it's definitely not for everybody i have a massage therapist friend who i mean she does really really well and multiple people have said to her so what's next for you like are you going to open a clinic she's like fuck no 
Like there's no part of me that wants to own and operate a yeah. clinic. No way. I do well. I make the money I want to make. I'm happy. This is where I'm staying. And then, you know, listening to you, you're like, this is what I wanted to do the entire time. Even the fact that you chose clinic ownership over everything you've done. And I didn't even include in your intro that you sat as the vice president for the Canadian Massage Therapy Alliance. Like you've literally lived and breathed massage therapy and still, and like I, uh, like we said at the beginning, you've you're doing coaching, you do mentorship for therapists, but still clinic ownership is your favorite thing. Why is it your favorite thing? Why do you love running clinics? Uh, because clinic ownership really is coaching and mentoring. Oh. That, that's what it is, right? So I had to pick one or, or Mark was going to shoot me. So I that's had to true. go with clinic ownership <laughs> because it encapsulates it everything. So clinic ownership also encapsulates, you got to figure it out. Like, so how do you get people in? How do they stay? How do you provide value? What happens if something goes wrong? How do you solve that problem? So there's so much more complexity when you say clinic ownership, but at its core, like now we've got, I think about 45 therapists in our clinic. Um, it really is just one-on-one -on -one coaching. That, that's what I do. And that's what I love. And when I can figure out one person and I can get them going, then I move on to the next person. And once I figure it out, because the biggest thing that is the stumbling block for all therapists is their psychology. And so it takes a bit of time to get through that, to make them understand what their limitations are, where their fears are, where their passions are. But after you do that hard work, you can set them free and, and the rest just, just blows up, man. It just takes over. It's just like, whoa, look at this practice. Go. That's what I really love. Do you just have therapists like lining up to come work for you? Uh, yeah, but I don't take them um, because you got to make sure that who you're taking on board, they want to do it. And I go back to that, that one thing is that, I mean, I don't know, I, I shouldn't slam people, but I do find that in our profession, because it only takes a few years to get uh, your diploma, it attracts a lot of people that go, wow, you know, I can bill $140 an hour. This is going to be incredible. And I'm going to go to school for two years. And so I find that, I, I mean, I got to, um, how do I say, I've got to sort of get rid of those people, might be strong word, but I don't want them aboard the team. I want passionate, committed therapists that go, wow, man, what course can I take next to help this person with this condition? And that's all I want. The running of the business, uh, I can take care of for them. They just want to, they just need to be focused on that therapy. And like my buddy, actually, I started this business uh, 21 years ago now. Was it 21? About 21 years ago with my buddy. And he's still with us. He is the most focused person. He doesn't want to be talked to 15 minutes before the beginning of his day because he's focused on his first patient. And that's the type of person I look for. So there's like a whole, a whole screening and vetting process to come work for Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I do these personality tests. I do a whole bunch of things. And some people just aren't ready. I've had a therapist. She came to me oh, about six years ago. No, it must be longer than that now because she worked for me for about five years. So whatever, say nine years ago. And uh, she's like, oh, hey, I'd love to come join. I've heard great things. I'm like, yeah, sure. Come on in. And she's like, oh, Mark, you charge way too much rent. And I'm like, you have no idea what it is to, to run a clinic and all the services you get, because we're fully 100%, you know, all inclusive, everything's provided. And she's like, I can't pay that. I was like, ah, no problem, man. Come back and see us another day. So she went down and opened up a clinic four blocks away. And after three years, she closed her doors and said, Mark, I'm not going to put up with that shit. That was hard. <laughs> and, and she joined us. And we had a great relationship because, like I said earlier, that's what she's good at was running her practice and she loved her patients. She sucked at the business side and she got caught up in the money aspect of it. When, when I run into people that question me about the money, I know that is the first indication that this is probably not going to be the best choice because 
they're not in the right place for the right reason. Now you got to find people that align with what you do. And I mean, by the sounds of it, you've got 45 therapists who are working for you and obviously they enjoy doing that. What do you like most about this? He's because pointing, he's pointing at me. You, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what do I what like do, most what about do, what? Uh, Amanda Ontario, what do you like most about this? Because you're involved in the business side of massage therapy or at least parts of whatever business. Because I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, this industry provides an avenue for a billion different types of business. But you're involved in massage therapy businesses. You're also a practitioner. You're also an educator. Like of all of these things, what do you like most about it? Because like, for example, I already can close my eyes and see certain colleagues and say, that person just loves treating people. They love complex cases. That's what they love to do. I close my eyes and look at another person and say, and, and imagine a person say, that person loves spa work. They love to do kind of relaxation stuff and walk away that everyone feels really good about themselves. And that person really loves the fucking business side of the whole thing. Doesn't give a shit about treating. It doesn't give a shit about excelling their skills or knowing more is about all about making more money because you can in this business if you really fucking want to. What about these things do you like the most? Interesting. I would have had a different answer a few years ago. Um, there was a point in time, uh, the last clinic I worked at when I was there, it sounds like it was run very much like what Mark just described. It was an all-inclusive place. I paid my rent. I went in. I ran my practice. Um, I I was asked to come work there because of my bio, you know, like she liked that I had a background in fitness. She liked that I had a degree in kinesiology. Like she wanted to have different practitioners at her clinic that had unique skill sets. So I was asked to come work there for my specific skill set. When I was there, my answer would have been, I just want to be the practitioner and treat the clients and, you know, really be focused on what I'm doing there and, you know, owning, owning my own skills. Um, now, you know, five, six years later, um, especially doing this podcast, I feel like, you know, when you and I were talking the other night, this is the first time I'm saying it, not just between us, Mark and I were talking about the other night, how our next step needs to be clinic ownership, which I didn't know if I wanted to do. But talking about it with him the other night, I was like, yeah. And he, I think like I would want to do this. He's like, good, because I don't want to fucking run the clinic. You run the clinic. I'll do everything else. <laughs> and I, I think that I would like that because now that I've been a therapist for 10 years and I do understand the business side of it and I'm a practitioner and I have my hand in education and through doing this podcast and talking to so many people, I feel like I would enjoy that you know, creating an environment and creating a team of therapists and running and running the business and just the whole business side of it. So what I like right now is, is, is not what I'm doing right now. It's where I'm going to be going, I guess. Because I flip all the time. Like, yeah, I, I get into time. treatment mode and then I'm like, I love this. I don't want to teach ever again. I don't want to talk about massage ever again. I just want to treat all day long, everybody. And then one day I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to do that right now. And then I start teaching. Well, cause I'm doing all of these at the same time. So I, then I get back into the idea of like teaching. I'm like, I want to teach. I want to teach all the time. Fuck that. I want to do anything else. And at some point I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to, <laughs> but I'm doing everything all at the same time anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? Like all of these things are always happening, but I just, feel like sometimes once I start getting into one, I just like really get into it. The only thing that I haven't strayed away from is this doing this podcast. Treating people, I've said, fuck, I don't want to do this right now. Teaching people, or not even so much teaching people or running courses, the admin shit and writing material, sometimes like, fuck, I don't want to do this right now. I've never had to do anything to do with this podcast, whether it's editing for fucking ever, cleaning up sound, you know, give, let's find someone interesting, blah, 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 blah. None of this has I've ever said, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. It's true. This is probably my favorite part, but um, I think the three of us all have something in common is that we we aren't strictly practitioners we do all do a lot of different things and i think that's why none of us are bored in this profession right like mark you've been a therapist for 27 years and done a million and one things and are you bored no no god bored no no my my life mission is not to be bored <laughs> so uh you got to do what you love because that's what gives you the fuel to do more and and i realized early on in this profession that I wasn't meant to be in the treatment room. I love treating people, but I, I can't be in the treatment room. I, I just, 
I want to work with other therapists and I want to solve problems that other people don't want to solve because I, I love, I love overcoming. I just love it. it. Like nothing's better than when you failed and you go, holy shit, this is nasty. Like I remember the first year we lost about $125,000 and uh, we had everything on the line. We'd bought the property uh, I was newly married and my wife was just like, man, this isn't going to work out out. And I'm going to go, I said, don't worry about it. You know, we're down a little bit for sure. <laughs> but I was really nervous, but I was like, you know what? It'll work out. And sure enough, the next year it started to come around and then we started to pay down the bills and then boom, but nothing was more exciting than losing. Like now that I'm making it, it's not as fun. And so I go after therapists that really need the help because I want to work with the underdog. It's, it's thrilling to work with the underdog. And when they figure it out and we can get them going in the right direction, there's nothing more satisfying than when they call you up and say, thanks, man, that really, really helped me. You sound crazy, but I understand it so much. Like yeah, I understand yeah. that exactly what, what you mean, he sounds crazy. I mean, <laughs> there may be people who think he sounds crazy. I just, I understand it so much. Like I feel like the most exciting thing is when you're like, we're fucked. Like, you know, a lot of people might throw in the towel at this moment because we're fucked. Like we're in so much trouble. And then you figure out a way to not be in trouble. And not just that you figure out a way to like, win again it's it's really it's really exciting so i i get it yeah it's it's amazing right it just lights yeah i don't even notice when i'm doing that shit sometime like we we had a conversation with a, a couple of friends of ours the other day and it was supposed to be a recording and i don't think it ended up being a recording but anyway our, our friend was recalling how they came to know us a little bit and we always kind of knew that we did continue education, like and myself and did continue education work. And then one day, the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario decided, you know, it's not one day, but they were making changes to the quality assurance program. And one of the things that they were changing is the continuing education and how it's done. And in Ontario, it used to be 30 credits in a three-year cycle, used to have a minimum of your credits a minimum of 20 of your credits come from what they called category A, and then you can also have your additional 10 credits come from either category A or category B, blah, 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 blah. And we built a whole business model around, hmm, you need credits, we have courses, we have credits, you like variety, we have lots of variety, you can probably get all of your credits for your three-year cycle right here in one spot, right? That was kind of the idea. And then the college announced, oh, yeah, in two weeks, we're going to get rid of the continued education cycle and we are going to replace it with something, but we don't know what yet, basically. And then our inbox then, was flooded with, I want my money back for these courses I bought because right. I don't need them anymore. <laughs> but what I was saying, like, I, you don't even know when you're just when you're just trying to scrape out of the area. And then our friend said, and that message came out. And then suddenly I noticed that you went crazy and started like marketing and all this stuff for courses. And he was saying, I was thinking, does this guy fucking not know that most massage therapists don't think they need education anymore? And you're trying to sell me education like crazy. And it's not till he said that I'm like, yeah, I guess you do just fucking pour it on when you need to. Like, and, but I, I don't think I was consciously doing that. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. I, I think we were just doing, um, everything we possibly could it was let's make a plan and keep going forward because i mean in just that moment he, just the way he said it though he's like you're and you're crazy it's like does this guy not know like his whole business model is not needed right now <laughs> like did you miss the fucking memo it's what he's made it sound memo, like right? nobody needs credits but no when you're put in that situation and mark i'm sure you've been put in this situation it's you have two choices like i could you know go and cry in the corner and decide okay i'm going to close down my business or i've poured everything into this business. How do I make this work now? In light of this new card that's just been dealt to me, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to play this? And we decided to go hard with the marketing, start the podcast and just be fucking everywhere so that people who still did want to take continuing education, they're like, oh yeah, those guys, they're literally everywhere. And it's an amazing part, right? Because then you wake up early, you go to bed late, you you really burn your fuel but you just feel awesome. Like you're like, God, I never worked harder, but it's a good work. Just this, whoa, man, we're going to make this happen. And then when it starts to happen, you're like, awesome. 
But when it really starts happening, it starts to dull you. And it's sort of like, you know what? I need a, I need something to kick me down. You know, I, I need a challenge. Enter COVID. <laughs> yeah, enter COVID. Exactly. Like the business goes to zero. There's millions of dollars people are counting on me to reproduce. And uh, it was intense. Like, I was just like, holy God, I'm going to pay my mortgage. Um, but again, that's where I shined. And I got people together and we worked hard. We figured out a plan. We got telehealth together. We supported the massage therapists that, of course, couldn't work. But we figured out a plan. And, you know, you go back, you start working, and you're just like, wow, this is good, man. This is why I'm in business, right? This is why I'm not in the treatment room. This is why I need to be in business because this is what lights me up. That you're definitely an entrepreneur. I feel the same way. Oh, yeah. I really do. Like, I like treating and I like complex cases, but I don't want to do that all day long. I want to do that once in a while when I feel like doing it. You see what I'm saying? I don't want someone to call me up and say, someone referred me. Can I come see you? And I feel obligated to see you now. That's not how I want to work. I always (laughs) want it to be when I want it, how I want it, with who I want to do it with. And that's how I want to treat. So I have a small handful of people that that's how it goes with the treatment i can't imagine at this stage in my life i swear to god working in a clinic or treating 100 of the time anymore i can't because i'm exactly yeah. like this i get thrilled by all of the different business ideas that happen in this industry because there's so many cool things that can happen and it some of it has not not some of it a lot of it has nothing to do with treatment at all and it's so fucking cool to me yeah it's amazing it is. It's amazing. And I, I can hear you guys' voices. Like, you're in the right place. <laughs> like, this is where you need to be. By the way, you sound a little bit like Jim Brewer. I don't know if you know who Jim Brewer is, the comedian. You kind of do every every time, every little bit, every time when you start getting a little excited, you actually <laughs> sound a lot like Jim Brewer. And it's fucking fabulous. It's making you me laugh. You know, as soon as we finish this recording, you're going to have to play me a clip because I, I can't picture who that is. <laughs> I'm going to look it up myself. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Um, so when we first got in contact, Mark, well, I mean, it was um, one of your RMTs that sent me an email and said like you had a whole bunch of things you want to talk about and I I, you know some of the stuff we've already talked about obviously you know careers for visually impaired you know you talked about how it's actually worked out in your favor Um, but something that she wrote to me I didn't quite understand so I thought maybe you would want to elaborate on it the emotional and economic impacts of initial clients oh yeah so that that goes back to the the psychology right so success is 80% psychology And this is what you just run up against. And when you look at people and you go, man, how did that RMT do it? And and suddenly this one can't, it's their psychology. And so what happens is, so we run numbers. We've got a wide range of numbers we run on all our therapists all the time. And they get better, of course, the longer they're with us. Um, But the number one number I'm looking at is the average number of treatments per client per year. And so we'll just say if you um, discount in, in, um, in British Columbia, we have ICBC. So that's the car accident insurance. So don't talk about them because they get a whole bunch of payments for their services. And we're just talking about private pay, people coming in, extended healthcare plans, how many people come in and what's the average number of treatments. And it is so clear when we start to run these numbers that when you get people, and they can be fully booked, this is the problem. So here's the problem. People will come, they're fully booked. The therapist goes, man, i got a wildly successful practice. And I'll say, yeah, that's really great, man. You're fully booked. Let's run those numbers this, you know, this month. We run the numbers, and suddenly, yeah, they're fully booked with initial. And now mm. here's the problem is that that's cool if you want a clinic of three people. And then you can bring in more initial to help that out. But if you're growing your practice, I found out about seven years ago, I made the most incredible discovery that two of my therapists were consuming 70% of all our initials. And at that point, I was like, whoa, this has got to change. Now, back in the day, many years ago, seven, uh, I sat down with them and I was like, you know, hey, we got to talk because I've noticed that there's way too many initials being used by you guys. And back in the day, I didn't really have the ability to articulate uh, the reason. And I've done a lot of work with Tony Robbins over the years. And so now I have a skill set 
that I'm able to articulate and I'm able to understand why they're in the position they're in. So I had a conversation with them and I said, listen, you're using too many initials. This simply can't continue because I can't afford to give you another initial because if the next person gets a cancellation, they don't actually get the patient because you're taking all the initials, right? Mm-hmm. And so I found this incredible, like, just, it was an eye-opening experience. And then, because I wasn't able to articulate myself back then, I actually did more harm than good. And they thought I was like a money-grubbing clinic owner that had no emotional sensitivity to what it was to be a therapist on the ground. You know, this whole of mindset. <laughs> and Evil I was like, clinic owner. Mm. Yeah, I'm the evil clinic owner making all the money. And boy, I was totally out of touch because all I did, I guess, was live on yachts. And I I tried to articulate back then. I was just like saying, hey, simply put, if people don't return, if you can't build this therapeutic relationship up, if there is no treatment plan here and you're just simply basing your practice on the fact that our phone rings a lot, this isn't a practice. And so I alienated the first few, but what was good was I got them out of our practice because as soon as they left our practice and they're nice people, I have nothing personally against them. I think they're great people. As soon as they got out of our practice, five more RMTs joined, like boom. And what happened was because they weren't using up the initials at such a high rate, they built their practice quickly. So mm-hmm. I replaced two people that took all the initials or 70% initials with five. And so you can imagine from a clinic perspective and from an actual therapist perspective, I had therapists come up and thank me because they saw what was happening. And so now I have the emotional intelligence, you know, so speed up now, let's say five more years. So just a couple of years ago, now I can, I sit down and I can start saying to people, listen, I understand what's going on here. And so I, I'm a, you're probably not familiar with the six human needs, but it's a Tony Robbins um, um, six human needs. And so basically most therapists highest need is certainty. And so what happens is they're unsure of putting themselves out to put out a treatment plan that they don't really know is going to work. So they don't put it out because they feel this sort of, I sort of call it this uncertainty in their body, but it's a lack of self-esteem because then they go to themselves, holy shit, should I really be and say how long sciatica is going to take to be fixed? It's like, yeah, man, you got to make a judgment call. So just make a judgment call. And once I can work with people to say, and, and this is my typical thing, I was like, it doesn't matter what condition. If done well, you are going to get a major handle on their condition in three treatments. If you're paying attention, you're educated in this area, you apply the manual therapy, you give them home care, you follow up, you empower them that they're going to get better, you are going to make a major change in everyone's life in three treatments. And so I get rid of this uncertainty that, oh my God, I can't put out a treatment plan because I don't know what the future is going to be because they're very certainty-based driven. And I say, listen, just do it. You do not know what the future brings tomorrow. But I think you can say, if you apply the things I just talked about, you will make that profound difference. And when they make a profound difference, then they come back and say, oh my God, Mark, I can't believe, why didn't I do that earlier? (laughs) And I go, Hey man, I'm glad I'm here to help, but that's what jazzes me up. And so it's this emotional intelligence that people need to understand what drives them. Because if you figure out what drives the therapist, I can easily figure out how to help them because someone who is uncertain, so somebody who wants wild ass amount of uncertainty in their life probably doesn't do too well as a massage therapist because massage therapy can get very routine. And so once I work with them and I go, wow, look at that person. They're driven by uncertainty. I'll get a very good idea that I better figure out how to make their schedule exciting or it ain't going to work out for them. So I look for, actually, I look for certainty-based therapists and then provide them that framework and support so they can get over that that quote-unquote 
inability to sort of say, hey, I'm going to make you better in three or four treatments. And once I can really get them to understand that they can, then a certainty-based therapist is the best because when people have certainty, they don't move. This is like the perfect time, Mark, like the perfect time. Everything you're talking about is is, you know, what you're doing for other therapists. Like you said, what really drives you is helping other therapists to become wildly successful, right? So do you do you help therapists who don't work for you? Like, do you have coaching and mentoring programs for other therapists who just might want to work with you? Like base, even just hearing this, I can imagine some people might just want to pick your brain. Yeah, well, I only work with five therapists at a time. Uh, and then I also have a coaching program that people can purchase. And basically, it's the framework. And so sometimes a framework works very well for people. They follow it. And I take them through the A to Z in an eight-week program. We do it every two weeks. And they follow the program and they execute on it. And then if they get to the end and they need some more support, then I can work with them one-on-one. But I only want to work with five because five, I need to make sure that what I'm doing makes a difference. And I don't want to, I've been in the position before where I'm like, oh God, I got another call. I don't want to talk to that person. (laughs) And so I don't want to be in that position. I want to be able to say, you know what? John's at 10 o'clock. I can't wait to hear how he's doing. And I am all into what he's going to tell me. So yeah, I only work the five at a time. People can get a hold of me. I'll talk to them. I'll figure out where I can fit them in. But if that, again, if that's full and that doesn't work, then we give them the, uh, the structure, which again is, is the structure I follow. But like I said earlier, 80% is psychology. It's all the information's out on YouTube. Like if you want to be successful, go to YouTube. The reason you don't do it is because you have limiting beliefs. That's the difference. That's the reason I have 45 therapists. Because all I've done is invest in my personal development. And I've had the privilege of losing my eyesight, which has really put me up against the wall to test me. So it's, uh, yeah, it's important that people realize that. So we spend a lot of time on their psychology. Well, for anybody that's going to listen to this and is interested in doing the program, how do they do that? Do you have a website or some contact information you could give out? Yeah, just go to markbents.com or just email me at mark at markbents.com. And then Benz is B-E-N-T-Z and then it's Mark with a K. How long does, just because I'm really curious, because this is interesting as hell to me, how long does it take you to figure out one of your therapists? Oh, a few hours. It's very easy. It's like when you know what you're looking for, and I've done it enough now, yeah. um, it's easy. It, it It is really simple. The challenge is, once you figure it out, I mean, I go back to the most basic thing ever, and people go, God, this is too simple. But it is, you want to, figure out why. Like, why are you doing this? Why do you want this? I get you want to make a paycheck. You want to give back to society, but there's more. What is really driving you to make you the person you want to be? And I remember I had this therapist. And so I spent a lot of time with my therapist at the office. Um, And so I had this therapist and he would go bananas over no-shows, like completely come apart at the seams. Mark, that person can't, you know, they have to show up. If they don't show up, they got to pay for it. I don't care if their kid is sick. And I was just like, this is bizarre. So we had a few moments and I call him up and because he had this sort of uh, one of these freak out sessions at the front desk um, team. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And I chatted with him. And this was years ago. Uh, when I first started getting into all the Tony Robbins um, stuff. And I figured out that he actually thought what he was doing. Well, there was two things going on, which are amazing. One, um, he was freaked out about money because he grew up in a poor family. His parents were divorced and he always thought that he would never make it. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, that's a very interesting background to go from. And so what happened was as he went through life, he would always invest in himself. And like he bought this, uh, what's that thing called? Vitamix, you know, what is it? $400, $500 vitamin thing. So he's always into health. So he could spend the money, but if someone were to cancel on him, he was got this triggering of when he was a kid and he felt like he was failing and he was never going to make it. 
because that's what his parents gave off to him when he was a kid. And I was like, whoa, man, that's amazing. So, what? Well, of course, we did. We started talking about that and said, you know, is that really true now that you're 33 years old? And, of course, you go through it and you realize and he realizes it. And he goes, no, it isn't. You know, I've got an amazing life. I do what I love doing. And I don't know why this continues with me. And quite simply, it's speaking the truth and recognizing that you're playing an old story that imprinted in your emotions when you were eight years old. That's all he was doing. And when I said, you know what, when are you going to let this thing go? Boom. He let it go. And he is a much calmer and he doesn't freak out because he realizes if you freak out at your patient who you've seen many times and their kid's sick, that's not going to help your business. That person's just going to go to the next therapist and go, whoa, man, like, who is this person telling me I got to pay when a crisis happens in my family? So it was cool because I brought the serenity to him and he's completely mellow with it now. And all we had to do is figure out the, the story that he ran in his, his brain. That was a terrible story. I got a couple things to say. First off, this stuff scares me. When someone knows so much about psychology and behavior and stuff like that, I get freaked out a little bit because I always think, like, if you really wanted to, you can use these powers for evil. <laughs> Because seriously, the same way you can walk someone through and help them have a breakthrough, you can probably also manipulate the shit out of anyone. Do you see what I'm saying? So that kind of stuff always freaks me out. The second thing, completely unrelated, I take back the Jim Brewer comments. You don't sound like Jim Brewer. You sound like Bob Odenkirk. Better call Saul. You sound a lot like fucking Bob Woodkirk. <gasps> yes, yes, yes. Okay, oh, see, that's, that's yes. That is what it is. Okay. Not, I, in the excited moments, I heard a little Jim Brewer, but now I'm like, you You better call Saul. <laughs> you better call Saul. Oh, my God. That's all right? I hear now. <laughs> oh, that was nice. so good. So good. And it can be scary, but here's the thing. When your intentions are in the right place, it's a great partner to have. Absolutely, right? yeah. And that's what I do, right? I make sure that people feel comfortable in sharing. And it's, it's easier to share with me because I got a, you know, a great background where people go, well, man, this guy's been through a lot. So it's easier for them to open up with me. But people can open up. As soon as you open up and be truthful with yourself, you really set a lot of things free. I mean, we're, we're busy, busy trying to be things that people think we should be. And it's total bullshit, man. Just be what you love. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. That's that. one of your favorite things to say. Keep that. it simple. Well, Mark Vancouver, before we finish off tonight, is there anything else, any other words of wisdom that we haven't gotten into tonight that you want to share with the masses? I would say the most important thing is invest in yourself. That is the, like, if you think, oh, I got to go get a new car. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Hey, you can do that. But let me tell you, make sure you have money to invest in yourself. Because if you invest in yourself, it's with you for life. And you're just going to compound the impact over the years. So people say a lot of things like, oh, I can't afford this. Remember that lady? I can't afford to be with you. It's too expensive at your clinic. It's hysterical how people make these decisions. And it's just like, no, man, invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. And then be around good people. That's the other thing. Like, hey, you can invest in yourself and be around shitty people, but really build up a team of people that you want to be with. And like, so in a clinic environment, make sure you got the right people in that clinic. And if you don't, don't feel bad. Like if you've got to leave a clinic, leave a clinic. Don't worry. If you got to get rid of a therapist, get rid of a therapist. Like You're building a long-term family. And it really does start with investing in yourself. So that's what I leave you with. It's the best money I've ever spent. And uh, it com- you know, completely changes your life and compounds as the years go on. Man, you're probably the most mellow person I've ever talked. Like, it seems like nothing can fucking bother you. <laughs> so I want to know, are you are you just living? Are you just L-I-V-I-N living? Or are you like, I'm a survivor, man. The eyesight thing at nine, the booze thing, the getting into this business, Rocky starts to surviving like major debt. Are you a survivor? You're just like, 
L-I-V-I-N. I'm just living. This is just life. Uh, both again. I, because here's the thing. Living, like when I, when I really feel good, again, it, it's when I'm working and accomplishing and supporting people. So I need, I need a lot of intensity and failure. And I need, to, I need to run up against the cement wall to be able to go, you know what? This is worth working on. And then when I get to a point, it feels so good that I go, man, this is what I'm built for. But I don't do that for too much because there's a, a famous saying in personal development. If you're not growing, you're dying, which you know simply means if you're not learning, if you're not expanding, if you're not putting yourself to the test, it's not about sitting on the beach with all the money. Like, you know, when I go to, I went to Thailand with my, uh, my wife and our two year old kid and we had a month in Thailand after a week, I was like, Trace, man, we got to go to Nepal. I've always wanted to hike the Himalayas. So we figured out how to get to Nepal. We were there in about, well, on our 12th day, we spent two weeks there. And it's simply because I want to do shit. And I think because I've had this blindness in my life, I realize how much life is to be cherished and, and life is about growing. It's not about sitting around doing nothing. It's about growing, supporting people and knowing you've, you've played a part in the big picture. So it's both. Right on. Thanks for hanging tonight. This was great. Yeah. Thank you guys, man. You're great. In the words of Howard Stern, Mark, you've said it all. <laughs> you've said it all. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's such a good talk yeah thanks mark this was a lot of fun right on you guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone peace